All right, here we are in Mark the 15th chapter. This is the penultimate chapter in the story that Mark is trying to tell of the life of Christ. Um, this is a monumental moment. This is what everything that we've been reading and discussing for 14 chapters has been leading us to. Are you ready to talk about uh, the crucifixion of, of Jesus? Yes. All right, so you'll remember as we concluded chapter 14, um, the Sanhedrin Council had uh, taken hold of Jesus and they've, uh, they've taken him through this sham of a trial, through the dark hours of the night. And Mark doesn't give us every detail that uh, the, the other Gospels help to fill in about how he's taken from this place to this place to this place before ultimately being brought to Pilate. So Mark just is going to go just straight into chapter 15 by telling us about how Jesus is ultimately brought to Pilate. So let's just uh, get right into it. Verse 1, As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and they led him away, and they delivered him over to Pilate. Now Pilate is uh, the governor uh, of this particular province, and um, well, I'm going to say something in a second about uh, the authority that, that Pilate had here in just a second. Let's finish reading verses 2 through 5. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You've said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. All right, so uh, here is Pilate that has been called upon to um, take some kind of an action over someone who was not a Roman citizen. Yeah, Jesus being a Jew, um, and although there were cases, and you later on find out in the in the uh, latter part of the New Testament, Saul, uh, Paul was a a Jew, but he also had obtained Roman citizenship. But that was not the case for everyone, uh, and so Pilate is probably a little bit at a loss as to having some clear direction of what to do with Jesus here since he was not a citizen uh, of Rome. Now there were some very clear guidelines over what you know the governor could do and should do in the case of a Roman citizen violating law, but when it came to a, a, a non-Roman citizen, uh, in this case a Jew, um, there was not any kind of clear guidelines. And so what that actually meant is that meant that Pilate, he actually could do anything that he wanted to with him. Huh. Um, and what we're going to see here as we keep reading on in the next several verses is that Pilate uh, actually does have a little bit of sensitivity here and has some recognition that Jesus is an innocent man and that he is not deserving of you know, really any kind of punishment that these Jews are wanting to uh, mete out upon him. Um, and so he's kind of looking for an out uh, a little bit here. Um, and so that's why Pilate just begins to ask Jesus, Hey, you know, what do you say to these charges? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. And that's really kind of staggering. I, there's a contrast here to me, and there's several of these contrasts again. There is all of this clamor and noise going on. You've got all of these Jews that have been riled up, and they're shouting, and they're lobbying out all of these accusations. Verse 3 says that they accused him of many things. And although Mark doesn't detail it here, I've got Luke's account pulled up. Amongst the things that in Luke's account says that they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. And he's been saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Hmm. So they make some specific charges that they think will really look good to a Roman audience. You know, hey, he's, he, he's denying that you guys are the real power here. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want us to pay our taxes to he the Roman He told government. them to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah, earlier. so there's complete twisting of, of, of words or even just outright lies here. Um, and, but they're just shouting all of this noise. So there's all kinds of chaos going on. And in stark contrast to that, here's Jesus. Peace. Just totally peaceful, at ease. He's quiet, uh, not even willing to answer. The one time that he speaks here in this section we just read is when Pilate asks, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answers him, You've said so. Um, I think in some ways that's kind of a... a, a a halfway answer, yeah. um, you know, it's not an outright affirmation, but it is an acknowledgement that okay, that's the word, yeah, sure, uh, yeah, that's what you say. And there is some truth. There is a sense that Jesus was the King of the Jews, but 
the reality is Jesus was the king of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of, that's why he probably kind of answers, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Uh, pretty much, you you, you kind of got it. Like, <laughs> well, it's it, it's kind of like when we have conversations. Sometimes people will come to us and say, "Oh, you're a pastor." Yeah, okay, of. yeah, you know, I, 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 in I, your understanding, in your understanding, that's that's right. But yeah. I could I could go into a long discussion as to why that's not the exact title that should be ascribed to me. But it may be more involved than what you're really ready for. Yeah, I'll just be like, "Yeah, I, I preach." Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we don't need to sit down and break down all the extenses. Uh, extensive nature of that yeah um and so so jesus yeah kind of kind of humors him i guess by saying you have said so uh and then from that point he's just he just kind of quiet and and that does amaze Pilate, and it probably would amaze uh anybody because anybody else in this position is going to be just like a you know um uh, an living mess an animal caught in a a trap like trying to just do anything they can gnaw their own leg off to get out of this and he's just uh, yeah sure Whatever, man. Just kind of going with the flow here. Yeah, it's it's been a long night already, and um, there hasn't been any fairness or justice in what's been taking place thus far, and there's no expectation that that's going to continue here. And then the other thing, the other advantage yeah. Jesus has is he knows exactly this is God's plan. This yeah. is the, this is the foreknowledge of God that has been unfolding since the beginning of of creation, yeah. um, and now is the moment. Jesus has already prayed uh, that if the cup could pass. You know, he's asked, made that request, and clearly the answer was no. So it's like, okay, this is go time. Yeah, he's not kicking against the pricks at yeah. all. He, he understands that this is this is it. This is the answer to the prayer. Yeah, it was no. So, um, so yeah. here's here's what Pilate decides, verse six. Um, that maybe here's his way out. Now, at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner from whom the, for whom they asked. Now, this is actually something that would have tied back in to uh, the, the, the Passover concept that goes all the way back uh, to the original Passover. Whenever the Jews were held captive as slaves in Egypt, they essentially uh, were set free mm-hmm. um, as prisoners of the Egyptians and set free during you know that original Passover. And so now here, all these centuries later, as the Passover continues to be observed, here's Pilate's kind of you know throwing a bone to the Jews. All right, I'm also kind of in honor of that. I'll release a prisoner to you. And so apparently he had done this for, for some time. And so verse 7, Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection... There was a man called Barabbas. So this guy's a rebel. This guy, maybe the term we would use, this guy is a terrorist. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, is known for fermenting rebellion and is, you know, it says there uh, the insurrection. Obviously, that's making reference to some specific event that maybe people who were originally reading this would have known, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. Uh, there was this big uprising and, you know. He got squashed. Yes. Uh, and he got arrested. Um, this is a bad dude, is, is just what we want to say. This, this is, is someone who Osama is... Osama bin Laden type yes. individual. This is the kind of guy whose face would be on the wanted posters and everybody would know his name. Everybody would know this is a terrible, awful person. Yeah. And so it's going to come down. Pilot decides, I'm going to offer to release this guy or this quiet guy over here who's not really saying anything and best I can tell seems to be an all right fella. Yeah. Uh, one of these two going to release to them. Verse 8. And the crowd came up, and they began, to, they began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Because that, that seems like the obvious choice here. <laughs> let, let, let's release this guy, the quiet guy, the peaceful guy. For he perceived, verse 10, that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests, now they then go down here into this crowd of all the Jews, and they start to stir up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, this is kind of Pilate making double sure, are are you sure about this? What shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Man. Um, 
you know, if they had come under this pretense, you know, as Luke pointed out, all this stuff about, you know, we, well, we, we don't like the disrespect Jesus has shown to, to the Roman government here. and That's why he needs to be punished for this. Nah. It, it's almost as if Pilate, by offering Barabbas, this is his way of saying, uh, are, are, let's see how serious you are about this care for the Roman government. Because this is a guy who, just by his very actions and conduct, was the exact opposite of caring at all about the Roman Pilate's government. Pilate's pretty sharp. He's a he's a delegate. You know, he's yes. able to understand. He's a politician. Yeah, he's a, and a businessman, and he's able to understand here that like, you know, these guys are, are working an angle. It, it even says that in the text that yeah. he could tell that the reason that they wanted Jesus to be killed it wasn't because they wanted the best for the Romans. It was because they were jealous yeah. of his influence. Yep. Um, and really what we see here in these verses is the, the unfortunate way that uh, mobs work where you get one or two, or probably more than one or two, but you get just a few stirred up and they get a few stirred up on their own. And you have just a group of people where people come into this thing, they're not well informed, mm -hmm. uh, and you just start throwing out some accusations and some ideas, and before you know it, there's just this domino effect. Yeah, group think. The group think, the mob mentality takes over, and you got people shouting, and I truly believe there would have been people in that crowd who were shouting, crucify him, and they didn't know what they were saying. Yeah. I don't think this was, they logically thought this through. No, Jesus or the, said, forgive them, they know not what they do. Yeah, yeah. So they there's people know. There's people here who are, they're not doing this necessarily out of some evil, jealous motivation. It's just they get sucked into the moment. And they hear the chief priest saying, and it's like, those, those are the guys we listen oh, to. Oh, yeah, yeah, you of know? course. These are the, the guys that we trust in all these other matters. So, yeah, of course, they're going to tell us the truth. Yeah. Um, but this is why we as Christians can't end up in uh, getting swept into a mob or a crowd or even a small group of people that are just, let's let's get into this group think where, you know, this is our this is our ideology and we're uninformed about what that means and we don't think about what what we're doing because then we wind up in the same position here where we're yeah. you know yelling crucify yeah. from the crowd. This is how false religion works where you've got you know a couple of guys who over time have maybe developed some uh, trust and rapport as being authoritative in some way and as soon as they throw out some ideas well I mean they've never steered us wrong up until now so yeah yeah of course yeah, yeah, let's do that yeah and they end up crucifying Jesus yeah. and then another and other situations like especially for young Christians of like oh I'm going to go to this party but I'm not going to do anything sinful mm -hmm. you know but you're there in the crowd and everybody around you is yelling crucify you're going to get swept up into that somehow. Yeah. Or you're going to just stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. One or the other. You're going to have to give the thumbs up to some of this. Yeah. And, you know, we, we just got to stand up. We, we can't be like, like Peter in the previous chapter either and just run away. Right. Well, and that's the other thing, the other piece of this that we didn't uh, in the introduction. Uh, Jesus is, at this point, he's essentially all alone. Um, yeah. There may have been, I wonder if maybe somewhere down in the crowd... Um, you know, maybe some of the, the the women, you know, who had been faithful in following Jesus, you know, maybe they were down there, but, you know, they don't have much of a voice. Yeah. Um, who's going to listen to them? And all of his disciples, they've all scattered like rats. The one who was following at a distance, he ran away at the yeah. end of chapter 14. And so... And that was prophesied to happen as well. Yeah. So there's, there's no one here really to stand up for Jesus in this moment. Um, and so the, the crowd's going to win out. And... Maybe the other thing I want to say here, um, but Pilate shows his true colors here, and that is that he's a coward. Yeah. Um, I, I'll give Pilate credit for he recognized Jesus' innocence, um, but a true leader would have been somebody who would have stood up and said, no, uh, this, no, you, you guys are wrong, you're off base, I, none of the accusations you're making are really seeming to hold any water. Um, I'm making I'm making a call here. This guy, this this we're certainly not going to crucify him. If nothing else, we're going to sit down and have some further questioning with him. But but his cowardice, verse uh, number, uh, what verse was it again? Where Pilate? Uh, well, verse fifteen. Fifteen. That, wishing to satisfy the crowd. He, that's what that was his desire. Uh, again, here's the politician thing. Well, I want to make sure that these people still respect me. My and, constituents. Yeah, that's my constituency. Yeah. Um, that that was his greater concern, and um, that's uh, to me. It's just it's just outright cowardice. And um, Luke is or Mark is going to actually show us, I think, a, a time or two again before we finish this chapter, uh, how that bears out, especially in contrast to some other people 
who are going to show some great courage before we finish this chapter. Um, we, we can't undersell what verse 15 just says very point blankly and moves on, where it says, first of all, that they scourged Jesus. Yeah. Um, and that really is all the details that the Gospels record for us about scourging. You end up having to go to um, you know, some, some extra biblical sources to learn a little bit about what scourging involved. Of course, your Bible may be like mine. It does have a footnote here to describe what a scourging was, that it was yeah. a Roman judicial penalty that consisted of a severe beating with a multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of bone and metal. Um, I've got a little whip that I, I bought that's got lots of those little strands of, of, of you know, hard leather. I don't think it has bone and metal in it. It doesn't have bone and metal, but when I've illustrated that with the kids, I've, you know, I've said, you know, imagine tying some pieces of, you know, maybe glass or, or rock into this and then getting hit with it. And, of course, they're, they're scared just at the thought of getting hit with it just with the yeah. leather itself. And all those different strips, you know, you think about getting hit with a, with a leather belt with just one strip, Here's something that's got you know maybe five, ten, fifteen different strips. Yeah. You've got all those different stripes across your back, and uh, and it is enough to take your breath away just the thought of it. And um, most people uh, who actually received a scourging um, never actually even made it to the crucifixion. Yeah. Most people actually died from the scourging itself. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, yeah, um, that that was the scene that probably sticks out most to me in my mind. It's painful to watch. Yes. Um, the cross depictions are, are awful as well, but most of us probably had a pretty good idea in our mind of what that looked like yeah. beforehand. But the, the scourging thing was something that I know before I'd seen the movie, I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to. And it, and if the, the depiction of what was in the movie and, and other movie depictions, if that's even you know half of correct of what Jesus went through, uh, it's more than enough to impress upon us the, the, the suffering physically that he endured here. It's mortifying, and for every stripe that he's getting hit, I mean, that's, that's, that's our healing. Yeah. That's the healing that's in the, the healing in the wings that we were promised in the prophecies of old. But yeah. it, it, we just have to open our eyes spiritually to be able to see that, see what he's doing. Because, I mean, again, he knew he was going to go through this, and he offered no defense at all for this. Yeah. That's, man. Yeah. Um, so that's the beginning. Like when you start, when you suffer, sometimes, I don't know about you, but like, you know, the, what I'm looking forward to at the end of the suffering is this is going to be over. Yes, here's some relief now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's not uh, going to happen after the scourging. No, after the scourging, it's, it's really, that's, that's just uh, phase one of, of the physical. Well, we, we did notice some physical torture already happening in the last chapter when the people were blindfolding him and these these Jewish council members and stuff are smacking him upside the head. Uh, so it starts there. Now this scourging really takes it to another level. Uh, and there's still more pain even before we get to the cross. So look at verse 16. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Okay, so there's certainly some mockery going on there. That's, that's no fun. Um, and we might think, well, okay, that's, that's better than physical abuse. Well, there's physical abuse that's going to accompany this. Verse 19, And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. Let's remember, when they're striking him on the head with this reed, what's already on his head? The crown. He's already got that crown of thorns that I'm sure they were not careful to you know, put that on really delicately. Yeah. We're going to jam that on there, and now we're going to beat over his head, drive those thorns even deeper and deeper into his forehead, into his scalp, into his brow. Um, you know, there's no telling how much blood loss had already happened in the scourging, you know, across his back, back of his legs, back of his arms. N now we've got blood coming from, no doubt, his forehead, his, 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 maybe his face. Um, the, spit, the spitting, you know, I, I don't know. There, there are not, I, I don't know that I can think of more degrading acts yeah. that you can do to someone than to spit on them. And let's notice here that doesn't say he says anything to all this. Yeah. This is just happening. He doesn't try to defend himself. He just he just allows it to occur. Yeah. 
That's amazing. As we noted last week, this is Isaiah 53 coming you know, true in its, its truest sense. You know, as the lamb is uh, led before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Uh, and he's not. I, now, I'm sure, all right, look, maybe I ought to say, would there probably maybe some screams of agony with each yeah. lash blow? I'm sure there were. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Jesus, he's a human, so he's, there's going to be that. But there's, there's no you know, lashing back in anger. Yeah. There's no, not even, no indication that he was crying for them to stop. You know, the world thinks that strength is he would stop these guys. And he would overturn all this whole situation and come out on top. But this is strength. Yes. This, this is, is I'm glad you said that because this right here, what we're seeing in this chapter, is the very definition of meekness. Uh, is the word that the Bible uses so often. Gentleness, it's translated other word, in other places. That word means, sometimes we hear meek and gentle, and what we think is, you know, a, a little little sheepish and, and passive and just kind of, oh, just so soft and gentle. No, what meekness is, is strength under control. Yeah. And that's what this is. When you have the sharpest sword in town, but nobody knows because you always keep it in the sheath. Yes, yes. He's... <laughs> Jesus is just amazing, and I think we need to keep that in mind all the way up to the cross, that at any time, the, the same Jesus, this is the same Jesus that we saw in the beginning of this series that could cast out demons yep. and raise people from the dead and heal the sick, and he could calm the, the tempest, and, and, and he was ministered to by angels, and, and this same person, he's, he's just allowing this to happen. Yeah. Could have called 10,000 angels, but he doesn't. And uh, you know the temptation had to be great at any point to just put an end to all of this. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't. Verse 20, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and they put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. It, it needs to be said, too, that them dressing him up like a king is honestly beautiful irony in a, in a yeah. sorrowful kind of way. Like, yeah. He, he is a king. Yeah. And Mark, and I think Mark, maybe more than any of the other gospel writers, Mark is going out of his way, I think maybe six different times that he uses the expression king or king of the Jews. Uh, and I think as Mark is wanting to impress upon us that for whatever they meant by that idea of king, uh, he was. Yeah. You know, they may have had perverted ideas about this, but the truth was this was the king uh, doing all of this uh, for, for, for his people who would be his subjects. I don't think we should downplay when it says that they stripped the purple cloak off of him. Just imagine if his back is already torn and tattered, you imagine almost, I, I, I envision like just strips of skin yeah. across his back. So there's blood. Well, what happens to blood once it's been exposed to the air for a little bit? It begins to dry and it begins to clot. You then put a purple, or it doesn't matter what kind of cloth, but put some kind of a cloth over top of that, then the blood is going to start to, it's going to, start to stick to that. You know, that's what we usually do as soon as somebody starts you know, bleeding. Hey, we need to get that, you know, put, a, put a bandage on it or put a, put a Band-Aid on it. Okay, so now the blood has started to maybe stick and to dry uh, to this cloak. Then what you're going to do is they're going to rip that off. And it's just like the reopening of those wounds. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's still alive at this point is just amazing. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes the, the, the next little section uh, kind of understandable as we think about him carrying the cross because it, it's almost impossible to imagine him physically being able to carry the cross to the place that they were going. So verse 21. They ended up compelling a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So... Uh, evidently, Jesus has carried the cross through the streets to to some length, uh, and that was traditional for you know the criminal to actually carry the very instrument upon which he was going to uh, to, to be killed. Uh, it just kind of added an extra layer of shame. This yeah. is like when I was growing up. Uh, if 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 me and my brothers, if we were getting in trouble, one of the things that my dad would often have us do was he'd have us go to, to go to the tree. And break off our own switch yeah. that we were going to get going to get spanked with, and like it's, it's setting an example to yes. the other people, and it's making you have to walk every step of your way to the tree to get that. Yes, yeah. It, that, that, in some ways, that's more agonizing than the actual, you know, switching itself. He's, it's it's just nothing's being spared to him. It's every layer. Yes, every every aspect of shame 
and degradation and pain that you can imagine, Jesus is experiencing it here. Um, so they end up having to compel this man, Simon of Cyrene. And we don't know a whole lot about this guy, except what's said you know, here in the Gospels about him being compelled to carry this. And uh, I think I did a midweek message a few months ago on how um, there's no telling what this guy thought his day was going to be like as he woke up that day. <laughs> and he just happened to be in the, well, depending on how you look at it, he was either in the right place at the right time or he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, but he was called upon to do what ended up being a tremendously important thing for the Lord yeah. in that moment. And, I, w- uh, I, would, I would say right place, right time, honestly, because if I looked back on my life and I realized I helped carry the cross. Oh, yeah. You know. In the annals of history, yes, but probably in the moment, <laughs> he, he was probably kind of, uh, oh, why did I have to be here today? You know, yeah. I don't want to get swept up. And we don't know a whole lot about how his uh, feelings were about Jesus. I mean, did what, what was his knowledge yeah. of Jesus to this point? Was he a believer? Yeah. Or was he just like a random happened to be here on this particular day? I, will I, would, say this. I would like to think that this would make you a believer. It, well, and what I was going to say, the fact that the gospel goes out of its way to say he was the father of Alexander and Rufus, that says to me, the fact that Mark records that, I think Mark is acknowledging that here's a couple of guys that his readers should know. Yeah. I think meaning these guys are Christians. There are mention of a guy named Rufus and a guy named Alexander later in Paul's writings who are Christians. And I tend to believe that's probably the significance of this, uh, whether that means that Simon then taught his sons the gospel uh, or that they all became believers just immediately after all of these events. Uh, I do think, and that, that's me kind of going out on a limb there, but I think the reason Mark records that is because he's talking to you know, his original audience. They're like, oh, yeah, you know Alexander. You know Rufus. Here's some Christian brothers. Oh, um, yeah. So um, the effects of this one small gesture potentially ended up having, you know, in the long run. I mean, to think that you're walking alongside him and seeing all that, if you were there in that crowd in Acts 2 or wherever you would hear the gospel preached next, yeah, you would be, oh, I understand, if you hadn't understood yet. Yeah. I mean, you're there, you're seeing all the wounds on his body. You're, I mean, imagine, you know, his expression, how he's not biting back at anybody while they're yelling him down. And yeah. Things like that. I mean, that, that, that would leave a very profound effect. Yeah. Um, well, the place that they're going is up on a hill, and that's that's part of the, the struggle here with being able to carry. I mean, not the, the, cross, the cross beam itself, and there's always discussion about, all right, what was it that he was carrying? Was he actually carrying the full cross, you know, with, with, with both beams, yeah. or was he just carrying the cross beam? And we don't know. I mean, there's, there's there, 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 I think there's probably a good argument to be made for either one. Regardless, it's a lot. Whatever Jesus has already went through, I mean, to, to expect him to carry. Do you, you want know, to carry ten pounds after that? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so they're going up this hill. So they bring him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. That's just an ominous um, note there. And they offered him uh, wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now. There are some traditions that say that the offering of the wine uh, to a, a you know a, a criminal in this situation was considered like kind of an act of mercy because it would help kind of dull maybe help dull your your, your physical senses a little bit so that it helps to lessen the pain. But I, I'm not compelled by that here at least at this point because yeah. everything that these soldiers and everything that everybody has done to him up to this point there's been no mercy shown. Yeah. So why would we start showing him mercy now? I actually wonder if maybe this is kind of a, again, another mocking thing. Hey, the very best wine for the king. Yeah. Here you go. And what kind of wine is it? Well, it's it's wine mixed with myrrh. It's sour. It's sour. It's disgusting. Uh, there's there's no joy in this. And, yeah. and that's, why, that's probably part of the reason Jesus didn't take it. Uh, on top of the fact that uh, even if it would have served some kind of a... a, a you know, a, a dulling sensation. Uh, Jesus isn't here to experience this pain in, in a dulled sense. He's here to experience it in its fullest uh, form. Yeah. Um, and then verse 24, it just says it. In Mark fashion. And they crucified him. And, of course, um, you can you can read in other places about, you know, what that means. There was the, the putting nails through the hands 
through the feet. Um, there's always discussion about, you know, did the nails, lots of depictions show the nails going through the palms. But the, the, the concern about putting nails through the palms is that there's, there's not a lot there. I mean, it's going to just tear It's just going to tear straight through the skin. There's not a whole lot holding it there. So many have suggested that maybe it was right here in the wrist, right, in, you know, maybe above that or below the bone. Yeah. So here's the bone that's able to hold that in place. And that seems very, very likely. Um, it, again, it, it, it. Devil's in the details, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I don't want nails driven through any part of my body. Yeah. Um, through the feet, um, and th th the Romans had developed crucifixion, you know, down to a science. No, yeah, I mean he's he's dehydrated, losing blood, can't yes. breathe properly from the posture he's in. Yes, all of the things that had led up to the to getting to the cross itself, and then the actual moment where we nail him, and then we're going to hoist him. You know, it is designed to create for maximum. Suffering. Yeah, and he has no one at this point. Yeah, nobody's nobody can suffer this with him. Yeah, and he, uh, I, I read somewhere that basically every time that he would close and open his eyes, it would be like sandpaper, basically. Yeah, yeah. From the dehydration and blood loss. Yes. Think about as well. You know, all right. His his back is pushed up against this piece of wood. His back is already torn and tattered. Yes. In, in, in pieces, is in shreds. And it's up against a piece of wood that I am certain was not like perfectly polished and sanded down. A rough piece of wood. And as he's trying to, you know, push up to get, you know, to get some relief, every time he's pushing up, even if he does get some small measure of relief, he's really not because his back is just grating against this thing. Yeah. And so if it's if it's not pain it, it, down here, it's back here. And if it's not back here, it's over here. Uh, and there's just the constant tug of war that was just designed to, to inflict just constant punishment. To just break you. Yes, just break you. Uh, and of course, like I said, Mark doesn't get into all of those details. Number one, because the audience to whom he, he's originally writing this, the, they know what a crucifixion is. Yeah, they, they don't need it explained to them. They probably had seen crucifixions themselves, um, and and probably as well, he doesn't want to take the emphasis off of what the emphasis needs to be, and that is, this is the fulfillment of God's plan. That's the main thing he wants people to see. This is the Lord um, dying for the sins of, of of all mankind, and so they crucified him. And they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Um, this is one of those things that um, soldiers. This was kind of part of their 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 pay, if you will. They kind of, or maybe just saw it as like a little bit of a fringe benefit that we're doing all this work. And so the garments, maybe you know, maybe there's some value in the guy's clothes. Um, I can't imagine there would have been a whole lot of value to Jesus' clothes. I can't imagine that he walks around in like you know. Armani robes. Cashmere. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, just imagine, though, I mean, that's going on on the ground while just right above them, this guy's experiencing all of this. I mean... Oh, well, to them, he's just a criminal. Yeah, he's, a, he's he doesn't mean anything to them. Um, but, I don't know, it's just hard to fathom treating any human being. Even, like I said last week, even if this guy was the most hardened, vicious, evil, sinner, criminal of all time. It's just still hard to imagine treating another human being that way. Let's but. divide his clothes among amongst ourselves yeah. in this instance. Yeah. Again, it's just it's the physical thing that's going on that everyone's seeing and the they're just seeing a criminal and they're seeing a just this guy who's just stirring up a rebellion and let's just squash that and Yeah. Let's just get rid of him. Tired of these pesky Jews bothering us about this. Let's just yeah. get rid of this you know, gnat, and us be able to move on with our lives. Uh, Mark gives us a time note, verse 25. It was the third hour when they crucified him. So the, the Jewish day started at like 6 a.m., so this is essentially around around 9 a.m. And this is going to go on for about six hours. Um, yeah. And that's actually um, uh, a lot shorter than m m most people. Um, Jesus has just been brutalized, and so the fact that he lasted six hours probably is is a, you know a, a minor miracle in and of itself. And the inscription of the charge that was against him read, "The King of the Jews." Um, and he was, and he was. But again, they, they don't they didn't put this up there for 
um, you know, as some kind of a yeah, acknowledgement. Yeah, or you know, hey, let's, yeah, hey, good, yeah, high five, good job. No, I mean they mean it as a a slanderous, derogatory thing, like sarcastic. Yes, yes. And that was normal, though. Whenever you crucified somebody, you would have some kind of a placard over top of them to to state what was the offense that they're being crucified that's for. That's the best thing they could come up and with. And that's all they come up with. Just a joke. Yeah. Um, verse 27, And with him they crucified two robbers. And that's probably not even the best translation. Just criminals. Criminals is probably the better translation because Romans did not crucify people for, for theft. Um, that was not a, a crucifiable offense. Um, so criminal is probably a, a, a better word, and that could include a number of things. Maybe maybe they'd crucify you if you like, killed somebody and stole from them then. Yeah, maybe so. You know, Maybe robbing was just one of many bad things that these yeah. these dudes had done. But I'm one thinking of right, like a mugging. Yeah. That's a different thing than just like, oh, I'm just going to pickpocket you. Yeah. Um, so two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him. And so evidently crucifixion was one of those, um, it was obviously a public thing, but it also seems like it's one of those things that like... Just an opportunity to get out your frustrations. Yeah. Um, And just, you know, there's always going to be just like curious people just kind of like walking by. It's not even like they're intentionally going to this place, but like, hey, I got to pass by there to get to my, my destination and like... As I'm just kind of observing as I walk by, what a terrible person, yeah. you know, and just making their comments, wagging their heads, saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. What's interesting about that to me, you know, them saying, hey, won't you save yourself? Won't you do another miracle from us by coming down from the cross? It wouldn't have mattered. Nope. How many other amazing miracles had Jesus done in the sight of these people and it did not change them to, 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 to think of him as he really was, as truly yeah. divine in the Son That's of God. That's why we don't even have miracles today. Yeah. They, he did enough. He did enough. And if you, it's if, not necessary. If a guy rising from the dead with ample evidence, spoiler alert, is not a sufficient enough for people, then th- that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the bookend. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could get up and... You know, heal a guy of cancer and tongue speak, but that's that's not even going to be nearly the, the significance of the fact that this guy, uh, his own bodily resurrection from the dead, that you know, that is going to happen here in the next chapter. Um, so they're shouting all of these things, and the chief priests also with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he can't even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. What, yeah. a, bunch of, what a bunch of nonsense. And those who were crucified with him, they also reviled him. Now, many people are familiar with the thief on the cross, referencing the the one of these two criminals who later, you know, asked Jesus to be remembered when he comes in his kingdom. And uh, you know, Jesus says he will be with him in paradise. But it is worth pointing out here that originally uh, that guy was joining in with the mockery uh, and was. You know, kind of part of the mob mentality himself. Yeah. Um, and um, and at some point during those six hours on the cross, he has a change of mind and a change of heart, and probably from just seeing Jesus's non-lashing back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Mark doesn't get into all the stuff about the thief. Uh, that particular one uh, in his account, you'd have to read the other gospel accounts. But I just wanted to note there that uh, this guy was originally amongst the uh, the the bloodthirsty mob of. Of, of reviling Jesus and yeah, who do you think you are? Verse thirty-three. Now, and when it was the sixth hour that had come, so this is now around three o'clock. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and so um, excuse me, this is not three o'clock. This is from about noon, noon to three o'clock. Yes. Sorry about that. Um, and so this is a. A, a phenomenon that uh, is not normal. This is not a just a, your average, you know, eclipse of the sun. It's kind of dark here. Yeah. Maybe. Even when there is an eclipse of the sun, I don't know if you've ever got to see one in your lifetime. I have. But like, it's it's pretty quick. Yeah. You know, just a matter of a few seconds or you know a couple of minutes at the most. Uh, this is three hours of of an eclipse. Three hours of darkness. Uh, which is this is one of the ways that God is signaling from heaven that. 
Um, this is different. Uh, what's happening here is significant. I want to get as many people's attention as I possibly can uh, in this moment. And it is at that ninth hour that Jesus cries out with a loud voice. This is, this is the Aramaic. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And then Mark gives us the interpretation, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of the uh, seven statements that Jesus uh, makes on the cross, at least uh, the seven statements that we have recorded for us in the Gospels. He may have said more than these seven, but um, I, I tend to believe that this is probably... This uh, I would imagine they were hanging on every word. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too... I, Jesus is not going to be up there, you know, really having a whole lot of breath or energy to, to be like having preach long a sermon. dissertations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so, every little statement that he does make, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna hang on every word, and you're gonna remember that. And I think that's one of the things that Mark is he remembers the actual Aramaic voice and the words that were spoken in that, and that was poignant to him. It's like when you remember back earlier in the uh, in Mark, whenever the uh, uh, the little girl was healed, and Mark records there yeah. uh, the Aramaic words that were spoken. Talitha Kumai. Yes. Yeah. And so that was probably, yeah, it, that just, it stuck out. And just like these words stuck out. And these words would stick out when Jesus sang, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that's not just Jesus just lashing out at his Father. Yeah. God, you've forgotten me. You know, no. why, why'd you do this to me? You've turned your back on me. The truth is, this is actually Jesus repeating uh, words of prophecy once again. The psalm. Yeah, this is Psalm 22 uh, being uh, used. These are, once again, the words of, of David. Uh, this is a signal. And he's, yes, he's, he's echoing the words of David. There is that feeling of, of, of isolation and loneliness. You know, we've noted already that Jesus was all alone, didn't have anybody else come into his defense. And in this moment, there is maybe even a feeling that, that even God, uh, has turned his back in a sense uh, and forsaken him. Well, it's true that the Father has, has he's, he's not, he doesn't have his hand protecting Jesus right now from he these wicked He has pulled that men. back, right? And he's doing that for, for, for a purpose. Yes. In the same way that uh, fathers today let their children go out into the world and experience life, and they don't, you know, cover them and shelter them. There's a sense where it's like. You're you're out there. Yeah, you know, this is this is what it's like. Yeah. Well, the amazing thing is when you go back and read Psalm 22, it does begin with that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. That's how the psalm begins. Yeah. But that's not how the psalm ends. You keep reading in Psalm 22, and I think this is the significance of Jesus saying this: is he's he expects that. A Jewish audience is going to recognize when he says those opening lines and they're going to be mindful of the remainder of that song because the song goes on to say in verse 21, you have rescued me. As he's crying out to the same God, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. So this is a reference to this sort of psalm and the, the emotional ride of yes. of being of suffering and being delivered. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And that's and that is what happens here. Yes. There is the the the, the father, as you said a second ago, the, the pulling back of his his protection in this moment, uh, but it actually ultimately leads to the even greater deliverance, and that is Jesus fulfilling the, the mission that he had been sent for, uh, and as he dies and gives up the, the, the physical ghost, but there is that sense of relief, no doubt, in that moment that God's work has been done now. And and not only that, but this right here to me, if you're an, if if you're a student of the Old Testament, this is what Jesus Jesus is just. This is the same thing the Father did to His people again and again to try to get them to understand. This idea of it's going to be a little bit of suffering now, but there's going to be deliverance later. Yes. Of he would he would bring them through the wilderness, yes. or he would bring them into captivity, or he would do whatever he could to teach them about sacrifice and about the the coming hope and the coming future, and they just at this point still could not get it all the way until Jesus came and lived it. Yeah, uh, and and this is it for us. Uh, that's, is, that's what that, that's the thing about the Bible. It's it's synchronicity. It all works together. Yeah, this is it for makes us. Sense together. This is for us. Second Corinthians chapter four, 
uh, verses 17 and 18, uh, where the Bible expresses those comforting words, for this light momentary affliction, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Uh, so yeah, there's this suffering, this pain right now, and in the moment we feel as if, you know, God, where were you? I really needed you in that moment. But all that stuff is just is helping to prepare us for something much better later on. Yes. The deliverance that is promised and is to come. And Jesus is going to receive that deliverance soon. As he shouts out the my God, my God statement, verse 35, some of the bystanders hearing it though said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. Uh, again, there continues to be misunderstanding, confusion uh, that abounds in the minds of the people. Verse 36, Someone then ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Because Elijah got taken up, taken up into heaven, so that's right. still like, maybe he'll come back and help him. Yeah, there's this expectation that Elijah was going to come. But here's the thing, if you'll remember back earlier in Mark once again. He already did. He already did, in the form of John the Baptist. Elijah was done here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you guys, you, you missed him. You weren't, you weren't paying attention. You weren't connecting the dots. Um, uh, evidently, uh, it, Mark doesn't say it here, but Jesus does take a drink of, of uh, what's offered to him this second time. And... Um, I have. I was actually asked that for Q and A once. You know, why did Jesus not drink of it the first time, and why is he now drinking of it here? Um, I, I, my own little theory about this is, I actually think Jesus wanted the drink now, not not necessarily to provide some relief. I think he wanted this drink so, so that he could this. so that he could so that he could wet his mouth so that he could then be able to give out this last gasp. Uh, and for these words to have the greatest impact as they possibly could here at the end. Um, and so verse 37, after he had taken this drink, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And of course, you'll have to read the other gospel accounts to you know, to know what he said there. When he, when he cries out, it is finished. Yeah. Uh, when he uh, tells the Lord to you know, receive his spirit, um, we're not entirely sure about the exact sequence of, of the statements and which comes when and which is last, but certainly the it is finished thing would need to be <laughs> near the end. Yeah. Um, and that would have been just a statement that would have, well, again, if you're a conscientious person, ought to resonate with you as you think about, man, what did he mean by that? It's, it's, the, it's the redemption of mankind Yeah. that's been done for... Just thousands of years of God working with His people and shepherding them, and this is, this is we've arrived. Yeah, this is the paradise lost in Genesis, the paradise regained mm -hmm. in the New Testament. Right here, this is the, this is the blood price that's p paid for our sins, and it's it's amazing to me because, on the outside, the world doesn't see that. This is just. This is maybe a criminal. This is maybe he's just a good man. He's just a prophet. Mm -hmm. But to us, and and to to someone who actually t takes the time to understand the biblical narrative, this is something that has been promised from the beginning in Genesis, all the way to now, and this is the greatest strength. Jesus and on the cross, Jesus has taken away all of our excuses mm -hmm. and all of our complaining and all of our woe is me, this happened to me, why is why is life so hard and why does it have to be this way and all of our excuses to continue in sin because he he lived this perfect life and he went through the most suffering and he did that for our sin. Yeah. That's that's what it means in the book of Romans when it says that God became both just and the justifier on the cross. Right. He did it all. Well, so Jesus has now officially uh, given up the ghost, so to speak. And what then follows are you know, some post-death uh, signs to indicate to the world that um, something special has taken place here. So the first thing that's said there in verse 38 is that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that, that, that's the part of this that we need to take hold of, that it was torn from the top to the bottom. Normally, if you've got some big giant curtain that goes up you know, a, a long distance, if you're going to tear it, if you're standing down on the yeah. ground, you're going to start at the bottom, tear okay. from the bottom up, you know, start pulling it, stretching it in different directions, it's going to tear from the bottom to the top. 
this is the exact opposite of that. And um, and the indication is there was no no human being was involved in the in the pulling and the tearing of that. It just tore on its own. It came from above. Yeah, this is the veil that would have separated the holy place from the from the most holy place. And um, this is a, a, another bit of that temple symbolism about how it's now open to all. It is, and uh, God is not working through the Old Testament temple uh, system anymore. Uh, something entirely new has come. And it being ripped from the top, that indicates the, the hierarchy of God, I think. I might be reading too much into it, but that's above where someone could just get up there and reach without like a ladder or something. Yeah. Well, and it's also an indication that what Jesus has done he has now entered in to that most holy place. Yes. He has went into the place that, again, only, only the high priest could go. Well, he is the high priest. Yeah. And he has now entered in and passed into that, to that realm now. Uh, verse 39, When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last. So just the, I think what it says, that he, the way that he uh, did this, the 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 manner in which Jesus carried himself during all of this, uh, the humility, um, the, the poignancy of his statements that he made on the cross, all of that came together. And even if it didn't for anybody else, for this one centurion, uh, it had a profound effect on how he thought about this man. And he makes the statement, truly this man was the Son of God. Um, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I... I want to meet this guy in heaven someday. Yeah. I hope we get to. Um, and you have to wonder, you know, what was it like when, when, when he went home that day? Yeah. You know, did he maybe tell his wife, um, I'm done working for the Romans, <laughs> you know. I don't like this. I don't like this. Um, I think I'm meant for something better. I think there is something more to life than what we've, you know, been led to believe. And These idols and all this. Yeah, you just would like to believe that this guy ended up becoming a Christian. And just has a family meeting and tries to tell them about Jesus and yeah. all that. That'd um, be awesome. Yeah, I mean, what a day at work this guy had. Because again, for him, this was just this is just another day at work. Yeah, just a police officer doing his thing. Yeah, and he has this just life changing moment of realization and, and awareness of. Of, of of who this man was and, and hopefully the implications of, of this man on his own life. Um, I don't know. I mean, tell me if this isn't valid at all, but I've often wondered, could this be Cornelius? I don't know. I don't know. Says he's devout, he's praying, he's seeking God after this. You know what I mean? Cornelius was a centurion of the Italian cohort, so that probably would have been a, a probably a, a different okay. legion than what it would have been called upon here. But that makes sense. Um, yeah, it would be neat if that if that were the case. Um, verse forty. There's some other people that are standing there. There were also the women looking on from a distance, and among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And these were those women who had been attending to Jesus. You know that, that we've noticed they they help provide for him. Um, probably did lots of things behind the scenes that that women even today in the Lord's Church continue to do. That don't they don't they don't always get lots of praise and and, and, and hey, adulation. Lady, and hey, ladies, if you're listening, we we do appreciate those. Yes, uh, <laughs> th they render such valuable service in the kingdom. And yeah, I, I'll, I it, it, it'll be neat to get to heaven. And for Jesus to get to tell of, of all the great things that these these sisters did and, and how they just, helped him for those years. Just small things, too. Just yeah. bringing him something to drink, things like that. You yeah. Know? Um, and it I, wasn't... And, 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 and that, no, I don't think those sisters did it out of the sense of, like, we feel like this is some kind of servitude to a, to, to a man. It was... We're just serving the Lord. Yeah. That's the way we say it. Yeah. Uh, for the small things even that we can do. Um Verse 41, when he was in Galilee, here's what's said about these sisters, when he was in Galilee, they had followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So uh, just lots of unnamed uh, sisters who, who helped the cause of Christ in the mm -hmm. very beginning. So we give a lot of credit to those apostles and all the great work that they did as Jesus was training them and developing them. But uh, these, these women probably helped keep the train running uh, That's true. in many ways. Um, and it's to their credit. Um, verse 42 now. So when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, 
who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. So here's this guy who it said was a member of the council. I have no other reason to, to believe this is talking about anything except he's a member of the Sanhedrin council. Yeah. Um, and was, was one who also says he was looking for the kingdom of God. This is an honest heart. Yeah. He, he may have not may have not understood everything, didn't maybe even entirely get what Jesus was saying and doing, but maybe now, after the events of the cross, some stuff is starting to click for him. Yeah. And he wants to do something about that. You know, all right, maybe I was not as bold as I could have been, you know, when we brought him before the council the first time, but, but I'm going to go do this now. Yeah. Um, and so it says, I love it, it says he took courage, and he went to the one guy who was the epitome <laughs> of cowardice. He went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear uh, that he should have already died. Uh, again, here's the the indication that Jesus, you know, uh, Pilate's surprised that he didn't, you know, he, he didn't just die within the first, you know, hour or so. Yeah. Surprised he even made it six hours. And so, summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. Uh, I don't know why when I read that, I get a little choked up reading it, thinking about it seems like there's a lot of care on his part, you know, with taking care of the body of Jesus. Everything up until this point, they had been so careless, the Romans had, uh, and the Jews had with, with how they treated Jesus in his body, and here is, he, he gets this piece of linen and takes him down, and I maybe read more into that than is there. But I'd, I'd like to think there's just special attention given to. It seems like to he Jesus cares. here. Yes, um, I mean he went. He, 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 I think you're right because he he goes to Pilate about this. It says mm-hmm. he had to take courage to do that. So he's stepping outside of the status quo in every way. I mean, really every way because yeah. he's offering his tomb, which is, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's a new a no, tomb. It's a noble. Uh, it's a noble's tomb. Yes, not a, uh, not a criminal's tomb. That's right. Uh, it had just been cut out of the rock. It's a new tomb. It's uh, which probably is also an indication this was not cheap. Yeah, uh, this is something that would have been of, of value. Uh, it's not like Jesus could have paid for it, but uh, here's someone who again is willing to do a kindness. <clears throat> and they rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. And that's kind of the cliffhanger that Mark leaves us on uh, going into chapter 16. And actually the chapter divisions were, were added later, so maybe Mark didn't mean for it to be a cliffhanger. But the translators wanted there to be a cliffhanger uh, leading into this, this, this final chapter. With good reason. Yeah, because the truth is if, if the story does end here, uh, it's a sad story and um, not really all that happy of an ending. Um, but there is still one more chapter left, and that is what makes this uh, a, a happy ending and makes this gospel truly live up to its meaning, and that is it makes it good news uh, because yeah. of what happens in the 16th chapter. And in the very first chapter, we, in the first verse, we read that this is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. Yep. And the centurion acknowledged, he said, surely this man is the Son of God. In this penultimate chapter... So I think we're going to see for us just definitive the 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 final say the the Jesus is the first and the last in 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 this next chapter and I'm really excited to get into it. This was a painful chapter to go through, but yeah. what we get at the end through that 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 pain is the the greatest reward. And again, even even just the gospel mirrors heaven. Well, for us I'll just close with Isaiah 53, verse 10. Uh, All of this, you said it was painful to read. Yet Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And um, this is, uh, again... It's amazing to think about how God stitched this together and weaved this throughout centuries of time, and now it has 
taken place in order to bring about what we're now the beneficiaries of, you know, nearly 2,000 years later. And I want our listeners to remember and maybe just take some time from our busy lives to just just sit on this chapter for a little while and just think about it and then think about our priorities in this life yeah. and reorient a little bit because if I'm ever having a struggle, this is where I go yeah. first. And and God gives us the time to do that every Sunday when we take the Lord's Supper, but it sometimes it's just even... It's 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 better in some respects to just take time out of the middle of a of a week of a random day, yeah. especially if I'm in the midst of of of, of a struggle of some sort in, in my life. Just go back here because this is the basis for for everything that we are and everything that we hope to have uh, is because of this right here. And if you can't get your priorities straight after reading what Jesus went through here, I really don't know what else to offer you. Yeah. And this to me is it just it's a reminder that no matter how much we're struggling with different things, that Jesus is stronger than all that. Yeah. Because he did all this and he didn't sin throughout any of it. Yeah. So we can we can take confidence in that. And hopefully we can take that confidence on into chapter sixteen as well. Well, uh we'll we'll close chapter fifteen with that. Any other final word before we say Goodbye. Yeah, I love everybody a lot, and I hope that you'll continue to listen through chapter 16. I, I know it's been, a, like I said, a painful chapter, but there's, there's a great reward coming, so stick around. All right, looking forward to wrapping up Mark's Gospel then next time.